0: Good evening, listeners, and welcome to God of Jabrew, the podcast that talks about two of two friends' favorite things, fish and beer. And honestly, I have to say it that way because my friend is not here today. The Lizza is (laughs) jet-lagged. So instead, it is me, the kid, and J3PO. What (laughs) up?
1: I'm you terrible. get me today. <laughs>
0: I'm terrible at intros. <laughs>
1: you Can re record it with me doing it in my radio announcer voice? If you want. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> the Kid in 3PO talks sports all morning long.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that'd be cool. Um Yeah, so we're actually going to push back uh the British episode, the the UK, I'm sorry. Let's at it collectively here and we're going to talk about that uh coming up next because we have a bunch of really good beer that's come from there and we just cannot leave the liza out of that conversation it's too important um we also are going to skip doing uh the cicerone in training aka the kid learns how to speak beer uh until she comes back at well as well so uh we'll move that to the next episode but uh don't want to leave you guys hanging coming up next is j3po's one minute rant so i have your minute queued up and we are going in three two and one go all right i get a minute every show to talk
1: about how i feel about the last show the last show was episode 10. Man, are these intros getting longer, or is it just me? Right off the bat, the kid and Liz were not on the same page. Guys, it's Hose Masters with an S. Sometimes we, do a, we need to do a better job of getting our tracks preset. Paige McConnell, the keyboard on meat stick, was the Yamaha CS60. 1990. Was never really a sweet spot with the exception of Big Cypress, one of the best weekends of all time. It's pronounced Niche, not niche. (laughs) Are fish really adult contemporary? I think at this point they're getting close. Pilsner fight and fuck me, I made some mistakes. I confused a bohemian pilsner with a German pilsner. I'm not supposed to do that as the producer, but I'm only human. Do you think the people in the Czech Republic actually realized they could treat their water or their water was just lower in sulfates? Like, come on. That's how styles get built. Also, it's malt bill, not build. I do. I use Bud Heavy as a palate cleanser.
0: (laughs) There it is. My playlists are great, by the way. That was the one thing I didn't get to. (laughs) That's cheating. We'll let it slide this time. (laughs) All right. So I know there's a lot going on uh, in this day in fish. Uh, i know that was a glorious
1: day it's <laughs> a glorious day to be do you want me to just talk about it or
0: um yeah honestly when you said that to me i was just like i have no idea what you're talking about which is generally how our fish conversations start <laughs> but um not far from the truth <laughs> yeah no the funny part of this conversation that i don't want to leave out is that you keep going yeah this just like 20th anniversary the like the island tour of fish and i was like the fish played the Bahamas? <laughs> the fish played... I, I know they didn't play outside of the continental United States. That's why the certain lot areas of uh, Super Bowl, which was my first fish festival. The, yeah, the, the lots were all states fish hadn't ever played yet. States, but they've been to Europe and yeah. they've been... Asia? Japan.
1: Yeah, they did Japan. A couple Japan runs. Yeah. Um, but today, um, we're taping on the 2nd of April and this is the 20th, I can't fucking believe 1998 was 20 years ago uh (laughs) uh, this is the 20th anniversary of what they dubbed the island tour it's a four-show run from april 2nd through 5th and the shows take place at the nassau coliseum in uniondale new york which is on long island and the providence providence civic center uh from providence rhode island so (laughs) hence the island tour um What's really fun for me to note about this tour and all the music from the episode is going to be from these four shows. There's so many great moments, but what's I think it's one of the seminal moments in Fish history. They're coming off of the year 1997, which was an epic New Year's run and just a great summer tour, great fall tour. It's widely considered one of the best years in the band's history. They're writing all the songs that would pretty much later go on the album Ghost, which was released in the fall of '98. Um, So this is just a creative high-tick um, for them. Uh, and when you, when you look at the set lists going through, I'm not gonna go over everything. I think you as listeners, uh, and we'll put some highlights on the playlist for you, um, but there's too much to talk about with all the other stuff that we have to talk about, but this is really great. When you look at the set lists on Fishnet or Fish In, it's off the charts, no pun intended, how many songs actually have jam charts to them.
0: So this is a really interesting question as a young Fish fan. Um, are are there like known parameters that make a song a jam chart worthy song? Like, are there like, <laughs> like I, I think of it like not, not rules per se, but just like minimum requirements.
1: <laughs> I think there certainly are. Um, so a lot of times when you hear people talking about fish and fish stats, they talk about type one versus type two jamming. Type 1 is lengthy improvisation that never really leaves the actual structure of the song. Okay. Whereas a Type 2 jam is they completely leave the tonal center. And there's a good, cool example, actually, of all songs, Possum, on this run, where at the end of it, they just go into this crazy funk jam. It's almost yeah. as surprising as the Magnaball um Caspian that just went back into the tweezer funk. It's like, what? Where did this come from? Yeah. And so that would qualify as a jam chart it doesn't have to do necessarily with length of song but how it leaves uh its old structure to become something new the roses are free uh the ween cover on this it's a 27 minute version of roses are free so completely after the song ends it's just all type two type two also is usually more of a group oriented jam like not a person taking a
0: solo got it So type two jams are most likely, I would imagine, to get into a jam chart than a type one. Type one, if you're sticking in the pocket and you're kind of like doing this. Unless it's just
1: a ball blazing, just awesome version and it stays in type one, it might get a jam chart. But usually I think uh, we could look this up. We could fact check myself here, actually.
0: But I think a jam chart would be indicative of a type two jam. Yeah, it sounds to me like that. I don't want to. Again, it's just interesting to me that you say that. Like, you know, this specific show has like a lot of jam charts. And as someone who's still working on the database, God, I'm so close. um, I'm starting to recognize like a pattern in songs that are jam charted. And uh, it's obviously a, a topic worth vetting, but like why some of those songs are the songs that they are. But by what you're telling me in terms of type one and type two going through all these songs it's starting like the pattern is revealing sure. yeah to, yeah i'm seeing the matrix the spoon is not <laughs> there the spoon <laughs> but um dark side of the spoon <laughs> um what else is going on like this week they're they're not just sticking in one side of long island either right they're hopping around no, no
1: it's two shows at nassau coliseum on Long Island which is a legendary venue and then two shows at the Providence Civic Center. Um it's just I think it might be the actually the peak of uh, I think it might be the peak of 1.0 for me. Um Okay. Uh it's 98 is like one of my favorite years so I, I think it's great. I mean this gives way to a summer tour where they played a different cover song at every show that they had never played before that they most likely learned day that out. day <laughs> uh which is great. That's I crazy. mean whoever thought Fish would play Smashing Pumpkins or Running with the Devil, Van Halen. Um, also, of note, a really cool thing, uh, Corotta thing. caroda sorry. Uh,
0: My this Corotta.
1: Is, <laughs> so all of these shows are indoor arenas, and they were in the round, so meaning they sold the seats behind the stage. But this is the first time that moving lights actually had the capability to move 360 degrees. So it's oh, the first the time you lights. get those, yeah. those gobos on the people in the back, like the dancers, the crazy dancers in the back. It's the first time... You ever saw that with lights? So you can <laughs> only imagine the
0: tweezer <laughs> reprise. As an AV guy and you Navy an AV guy, that's right. your first bally-woo. <laughs> your first like woo. It's, it's bally who Yeah, what you said. <laughs> um,
1: they could bally who before, just not backwards, see? Ah, okay. Uh, so um, a lot of it advances in the lighting. Even though they actually scaled the lights down a little bit from the fall rig, they could do more uh, because they could move all around so people were going just ape shit.
0: that's awesome
1: um, and it's, it's it's a cool run because even at the first night um, it's one of the coolest they open with tube it's and it's now into the fully into the cow funk era so that middle jam section of tube is kind of otherworldly I think it's like it gets to like 20 minutes or something but Trey even says on the first night he says hey you know we weren't expecting to play till June for you guys but we, we were just
0: bored <laughs> Which is cool. Uh, yeah, like they, what were, a very, place they to were very. They were very. They were very candid. That's um, awesome.
1: They uh, also.
0: I want to say, hey, I want to do a tour early. At the at I'm the bored. end of it,
1: they're playing possum, and Trey goes, brings it into this funk gym, and he's like, hey, I just just wanted to say thanks everybody for coming. Whether you went to all the shows or you're just here tonight, thank you so much for everything. Like you could tell, like there's just a lot of positive energy, and this is on the way up. I'm sure they're experimenting with drugs and having the full bar backstage now, but it's not. The, the signs of, hey, partying might be taking a little toll haven't started to creep in yet. Nice. I don't think that happens until
0: 1999, maybe. Um uh, but also that's still a very quick upward slope because it's yeah. 1998 and 1.0 is basically what 87 till that point. So yeah, that's a long time for it all to creep up on you. They were doing pretty good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think they were mostly sober until around 96, 97, and that's when they first got a bar and kind of started drinking and partying a little more. Like those 94 yeah. shows, I, don't, I think they're probably having a few beers after the show or whatever. Maybe some psychedelics,
0: but not. Don't you think that has Not to do the big with, party. Like, like, recognition of what they were doing at the time? Like, that's, like, when those shows start getting, like, super fucking big, and those festivals are, like, hundreds of thousands of people. Like, they've come off of achieving a lot, I feel yeah, Like, like I I'm think my, they were
1: just blowing the whole thing up and having fun with it, but yeah, it comes with a price, as we <laughs> see later in, in history. Oh,
0: man. I uh, just have to talk about it real quick, and I'm sure we'll have an episode completely on it, but Coventry is, like, one of the craziest things i've ever seen that's like pretty nuts it's it's a little sad (laughs) page openly weeps while singing
1: um velvet sea trey looks just pill wasted yeah it's crazy it's not there still are a couple cool jams from it it's not all garbage but you know what's interesting to
0: me just to slightly open that up a little bit but i don't want to too much because i i really think we should give it a, a stone episode but the crowd it almost from an outside perspective as someone looking in obviously wasn't at that show looks like nothing's changed like the oh, people still are roaring, still hap- like, yeah, happily lapping people it up still partying. dancing oh yeah yep. Yep. the camera pans all still look the yep. same like yeah. people are eating it up but yeah. like that's true i don't, I don't know there's i didn't go i
1: didn't go to coventry um and a lot of people that went to Coventry didn't go to Coventry. The, the weather was so bad that they got stopped. People parked their cars like 20 miles down the road because, like, the roads were blocked, flooded, and all this stuff, and yeah. hiked into the into the place. But That's Coventry, and another, another another time place, another for another time. day. But yeah. happy 20th anniversary to the Island Tour, one of the most seminally epic runs, I think, in the peak of 1.0. For you new Fish listeners, um, check out the playlist. I'll be sure to put all of the highlights. Um uh, one last thing I want to say is um, you're witnessing the heyday of the song Carini. Um, Pete Carini was John Fishman's drum tech forever. Oh, nice. He was also the guy, if ever a person were to try to get on stage for some reason, I've seen it happen a few times where some asshole yeah. jumps up on stage, Pete Carini was the dude that would run out and tackle you. Nice. <laughs> so in the antelope, someone tries to get on stage, Carini tackles him, and Fishman during the intro light part is like, ah, you, can, you can try to get on stage. But if you do, Carini's going to get (laughs) you.
0: And that's why Carini has a lumpy head. Uh, Yeah, well, it was originally
1: um, Lucy who had a lumpy head. The song was originally called Lucy Had a Lumpy Head, and uh, it evolved into Carini. And over the course of the 97 European dates through the 98 European dates, which are just after this in the spring, you can kind of hear that song evolve from Lucy kind of into Carini. Check out the song history on (laughs) fish.net.
0: fish.net for all your informational fish needs. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so um I wanna I wanna talk about uh we took the Lizza to a really interesting place last episode, both in the after dark, <laughs> never going to be released episode as Just well. Highlights. as <laughs> There's as, some highlights.
1: There's some low lights.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like the one thing that she always expresses Liza sounded wasted than anybody else. <laughs> Lizza. <laughs> the one thing that always uh, is like, really interesting to me in her listening of Fish and mine is like what we pick up based on what we like know. So she never picks up on mistakes in a show. They could be in the middle of something, doing something really weird but I also know they're doing something wrong. And she'll just be like, oh, this jam is so crazy she like doesn't recognize it from like a musician's perspective some of the best jams so, have come out of mistakes i would say I, but and then, yeah but like i hear you yeah you know what i'm saying there's flubs <laughs> like every, every 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 like musician has flubs like we all play wrong notes at some point just because we're not fucking perfect but like she doesn't hear it she's like naive to it and it's like to such a point that it doesn't register so the things that she captures in terms of what she likes about shows and what she doesn't is completely different than what I do. And, and I'm probably even different than both of you, which is
1: sort of the beauty of it.
0: Yeah. And, but there, there's (laughs) a universality to, uh, certain things like the actual tonality of something, like the sound of something. Mm -hmm. So the way we were basically able to show her the difference in Paige using him as, him as an anchor for like, Discerning different versions of fish. Yep. was the gear that he had access. to. Yeah. Yeah So what we quickly realized is that gear kind of dictates sound and sound is something that is Universal to a young fish fan as it is to an old fish fan yeah. or a musician Compared to your average Joe. It's a universal language so to speak
1: Right, this is uh, I think one thing I would like to point out this stemming from last episode is um, We'll talk about it in the beer part, but you're in training to learn the vocabulary to taste beer, I think we're doing the same thing with Liz for fish, which I right. think is, is neat. I think that you're a little more fish experienced than her, and she's uh, probably way more beer experienced than you. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, but it's a cool point to see you guys. It was just interesting to me to watch the argument flip based on the topic. Like, yeah. It was literally the exact opposite, but the same, <laughs> uh, which I, th- I thought was fascinating, and I thought these are these are good talking points. So... That being said, um, where are you going? What do, what do you want to talk about with this?
0: Um, so I know, I know one thing that makes it easy for me is, a, you know, I sing and I play keyboards. So obviously Paige is where I like go to hone in on, but it's also to talk about it from a vocalist perspective. I can definitely tell the difference between 1.0, 2.0 and 3.0, just based on how much better their vocals have gotten over time. So it's a very easy thing for me to catch on to. Um, I kind of, you, you think? kind of feel like they're the same, right? As an uh, older Fish fan, it's always just kind of been like what it yeah, is? I, I mean, it always kind of
1: has been what it is. I've always found it when I'm listening to it on tape, especially like not audience recordings but like remastered live shows, I hear the flaw and the harmonies a little bit more than I do when I'm in the moment at the show. Um, but i 've always felt the same way about their vocals, and maybe that 's because i 'm terrible at singing <laughs> uh, you know obviously they 're not the beach boys, but i don 't think they 've necessarily regressed and or gotten better i maybe they work a little harder on it now I right? was going
0: to say I think now there 's obvious tells that they 've put some work into uh you know be a vocal coach or like however they do it i don 't know just practicing in a room. there are acapellas during the baker 's dozen. <laughs> I would always get asked, like, "Oh, is this okay with you?" Like, you so stick to harmony, and some of them are really freaking good. Well, for them, like, I was surprised. I was. Just it's like, good. Damn. They did the whole barbershop
1: quartet training around '94, where they really honed it in. Before that, they used to they they used to do them, but they would do them just on the mics, Separate. where their rig rig was. Instead, right. it was not until '94, I think, that they came out and did with it the one the collective, microphone. Yeah. When they're not playing instruments, it's a lot easier to concentrate on. You know, when you're not playing, like a lot of times, you know even if it's just like the end of bouncing around the room has a four-part vocal harmony with page on top and they're all and trey staggered and trey's (laughs) while going that time then once again i'm bouncing around the room and that's kind of hard to do so when you're not paying any attention to that i think i think the barbershop stuff though um and just their vocals in general i think took an even more of an uptick around 1997 and especially 1998 where after Remain in Light, uh, Fishman talks about what the Halloween albums taught him. If 94 taught him that, you know, playing a Ringo drum part on the White Album taught him that, like, little subtle changes in the beat affect the whole song. Um, Quadrophenia taught him that, like, man, Keith Moon was a monster and he'd never been more physically drained, and that was just about making it through a set. The Remain in Light album, he said, was playing drums and singing 101, and he got a lot better after that. And yeah. We, so when you hear songs like... Um, Brian and Robert, you know. If you're just staring at the walls... The Fishman is the one that's going to...
0: Ooh, ooh,
1: ooh. It's like, imagine that, him singing the high part, you know. It's a very important part of the harmony, but they, they, I think they got a little better then. And maybe they're even a little better now. You know,
0: I'm gonna defend myself for a second because I know in the past couple of episodes I've been telling you how like high school, uh, the kid was like listening to Dave Matthews mm-hmm. and fucking John Mayer and shit. One of the reasons I appreciated Dave Matthews so much was because of how offbeat he can sing. Oh and yeah. with his yeah, playing, yeah. Like, those guitar parts to sing over. It's insane. Like, um, what is it? Satellite. Like, yeah, it sounds like super easy when you listen to it, and then you as a guitar player try to sing it and play it at the same time. It's really fucking hard. And I think there's a uh, quality to the craft that comes like, very quickly with musicians when you see someone patting their head and rubbing their tummy like really well. Right. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why bouncing around the room has become one of my favorite fish songs. because as a musician, you're listening to it, and you're just like, everybody is not just singing something, but it's almost like sometimes like Trey's kind of got the one that it falls into sync, but like there are other things happening where you're again patting your head and rubbing, rubbing i'm just like this is insane like uh, like i'm i'm telling you like this dude is is insanely tapping in his uh i don't know how to
1: say it. it's just like it's 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 really hard to do. Sting is another person that comes to mind, uh, playing some of those police bass lines while singing in a basically different time signature over it. It's really,
0: really hard. Yeah. I mean, again, and these are things that one would pick up to that somebody else wouldn't depending on their experience. And what's interesting to me the most and why I picked that uh, question for last episode, who... um, or I think it made it to the After Dark episode. Let me be correct. Um, we picked up a little bit on it last... You even played a little
1: uh, blurb or whatever, a soundbite from uh, the After Dark, the Lost
0: After Dark episode um,
1: <laughs> on last episode, actually. So,
0: No, no, no. What I'm trying to say is there's there's like an epic question that I like to always ask. And I think the theme behind that question is always like, which do you like more, the live experience or the musical experience? And it's unfair to ask. And I did so by asking the question, who is better, Tom Marshall or Chris Carota? Who's more important? Yeah. Uh, so if you do that, like the answer is trick, <laughs> it's a trick question. They're both equally great. And there you can't, I For mean, different reasons. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's the, it's a hard question. Yeah, yeah. But like that hard question basically tries to get at a generality that you have in both types of fans. You have one type of fan who might just be there. I think of uh, my favorite show of all time, Bethel's, and I'm sitting there next to you and you That's and I are really freaking your favorite? out. Um, and yeah. Because I was fifth row, I was right in freaking front of Trey. I could see the sweat dribbling on his face. Um, but to the right of me are like two guys who were just there for the party, and they're just like rocking out. And I, remember, a good I time. remember them. Man. They're having a good time. They're not being assholes. They're super respectful. They're super whatever. But they don't care about fish. They are just on drugs and just partying. So there again is this like universality and this like commonality, and uh, that's my favorite part about doing all of this, if it's with you, someone who's like, who's super experienced, or it's with like someone with Liz, where we just are both new fish fans, but have like optional or lenses that the other one doesn't have to look through in order to analyze it. It's awesome. I love it. I don't know. I'm dorking out. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Go
1: to town. You're the talent, you're the star. Our other star is jet lagged. So it's me. <laughs> I haven't talked this much since I was a guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to? Uh, do you want to talk about gear, or do you want to talk about Shakedown Street, or do you oh, want man. to talk about? We simulcasts? were talking.
0: This is where we got. I, I derailed us. It's always me. But uh, we were talking about gear. Uh, gear is a di- uh, di- indication of like. What year the point it might .0s uh, yeah, yeah. come from? Yeah, and I know that uh, you know way more about this than I do. Um, before I played keys, I played guitar, but I feel like you went way deeper down the the gear hole, uh, the gear hole. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds <gear>. gross. <laughs> <laughs> the pedals and the amps, and like I, I didn't really get that far into guitar playing. Richard Gear fan site. The gear hole. <laughs> <laughs> um i've done it as a keyboard player because it's very limiting and like certain type of uh types of keyboards only do one thing but i think gear was that universal language that we kind of found and liz you mean you and uh, me uh, no no (laughs) no the lizza was able to discern the difference between a digital piano and a a, yeah yeah grand, a baby grand. so uh the yamaha c7 to be specific (laughs) <laughs> so it's a full grant it's a concert grant again the timbre now. which is what we were talking yeah, yeah. about like there's this like essence to it or like a, a depth to it that people can even on the basic level understand so gear seems like the very next place to go it's a very quick indicator of who's playing what when they're playing it and I the way I kind of start understanding what that is is the very first time I ever saw them play with their original equipment lucky me was New Year's Run where they did the uh the truck jam.
1: The thirtieth anniversary show. Yeah. Great show. Also, um, for me, uh it's one of the a couple times I've actually teared up at a fish show, not to go too off topic, but during the uh I was there. I was right during the, the video <laughs> montage of the last thirtieth years, they're scrolling through so much stuff and it's like, Oh the Great Wet, oh the lemon wheel I was there, I was there and I just it made me cry. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I was also. Like, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> also, it was what's that, JP? Tom- <laughs> it was the kids' first. You enjoy myself, JP, which he had been JP. chasing. What is it? it took you like a eighty shows to get it. You'd been chasing. You enjoy myself, 51. and you finally you finally got it. Fifty
0: one. It was a New Year's run. Yeah, yeah. You were still counting. That's. I think it's two
1: thousand thirteen. counting. I want to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was counting. That's the reason why I was counting. right i was counting towards my first and it again it pisses me off that some people have had that song like 30 times
1: well yeah but if you went to see fish in 1994 or 5 a lot it's like you that was a song you got every three days kind of it was just in way more regular you have to remember like that's been a song yeah that's been a song for forever so um but yeah the truck jam where you saw them actually play on their old original equipment that was fun and nostalgic but like you'd rather them play on their new equipment mostly
0: I don't know man Like again As musicians Don't you think That like The gear that we have Access to now Kind of dictates How we can play uh, No Cause um, uh, didn't, the, the, My favorite story That you tell me All the time Is when Paige Went to Trey And he was just like I won't play Love and Cup Until I yeah. have that Baby grand." It's yeah like, like the gear s- Sometimes dictates What you're capable I guess what, Of producing not, not what you're Capable of playing But what you would Want to play
1: Like I think Paige Could have played The song easily on his other thing but he's like dude
0: it won't sound good yeah he- it doesn't has- do it justice yeah but like that's the same way that like I don't think they could have played the the freaking uh Disney or whatever the Haunted House themes Unless he had the Nord to be able to cue all the sound bites. Okay, so that's uh, a good point. Um, (laughs) That's a good point. And that's when he first
1: forayed into the Nord. And a lot of people are like, why doesn't he just have like four Nords? And it's like, Paige is a purist. Like, look, I'm about to read you the keyboards in his rig. So he's got the Yamaha. C seven grand piano. On top of that, right on the leaf, uh, is the honer D six clavinet. That's yeah, the, with that's the, the funky clav. I don't the, think he has the whammy bar anymore. He doesn't
0: have the whammy bar anymore because he's got a pedal on it. He's definitely oh, right. got that. Uh, he's got a wah pedal. A or wah something. pedal, yeah, the Ottawa. Right.
1: And then he's also. Right on top of it, he has one of those MXR orange distortion pedals so he can get a dirty sound. Like you yeah. watch him hit He'll it with his it. hand. Yeah. Um, then he's got the Hammond B3, which oh, is a modified course. organ. Um, yep. And then on top of that, he's got the Moog Signature Little Fatty. Um, that's, that's one of the newer Moogs that's made to sound like the older Moog. He's got the yeah, Moog. But it's super fucking he's got nice. the Liberation Keytar. I was saying in my minute, uh, the Yamaha CS60, it's a polyphonic synth. I think from the '80s uh, that Yamaha makes, and that is the signature. Meat Dude, that stick, was probably the first time sound. you
0: could ever lay five tones on a, on top of each other, like ever as a right. Like it's probably like the new age. It's got ship all these of, like,
1: hard switches that look like organ switches on yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. pretty cool. The
0: ribbon. I remember like saying to someone like, oh, "I thought ribbons were like a new thing for keyboards, but they go as far back as the '70s." Yes, yeah, yeah they do.
1: Uh, um, um, he's got a 44 key uh, Wurlitzer 106P, which is known as, I think, the little pumpkin. They call yeah, it because
0: it's orange, little orange box. Um, um, yeah. And then,
1: of course, the Fender Rhodes, um, and I think that's mostly it. That's one, two, you know,
0: I not counting the keytar. You, you can only one, stack two, three, three four, high on four five, sides. Five,
1: five, so, five, six things. But I think all of these are original or refurbished from the original. I think he was always a guy that didn't want to get a bunch of synths. He wanted to have... The actual organ, the actual Fender Rhodes, the no, actual... No, but that, yeah. that
0: makes sense. Again, I have, I personally... When you have an unlimited budget for yeah, gear... I but Ivan... Uh, <laughs> Even so, I have a Nord and, you know, top yeah. of the line, like, yep. whatever, and I can understand why uh, the timbre, again, is still new, uh, unique and, uh, like to the specific thing. Like, my uh, Steinway piano with slightly, like, little bits of concert reverb or whatever... Still doesn't sound as good as a Steinway live, just in the room. But None of yeah, that yeah, fucking yeah.
1: extra shit. None of it ever will.
0: Timbre matters. And yes, like, yes. I think all the musicians realize that. I, I would argue that while the amount of physical gear they have present, speakers and, like, blowback and, like, whatever, the amount of tactile, like, equipment, like pedals and rack-mounted equipment and uh, original keyboards for, uh, I guess, Fishman, it would be, like, more things to hit, <laughs> more surface area. Right, Like, that stuff is actually increased over time. Because it's uh, yeah. also, like, yeah. based on, like they have roadies now and they have like, like now they've had they've like, had roadies since you know 1991 but right yeah. but, but like a big whatever you expand yeah. and contract right you find yeah. a bunch of new gear that you like and then you pull back and you say well this is actually what contributes to my sound and then you kind of start fucking around and like expanding out again yeah, and like a, like yeah. A, ex- well, it
1: evolves and it, and it expands and contracts I think yeah. you're right I mean I know more Probably just being a guitar player, I know a lot more about the history of Trey's gear, also just witnessing it each time. I always try to get a good peek at the stage before they're on just to see, it's like, what is that gear? Like, what are they they using? What's different now?
0: Yeah, I have an interesting question for you. So he doesn't use that standard cabinet anymore, the orange cabinet. He's moved on to something else. You mean the the
1: two 12-inch? Yeah. uh, That are the wood grain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Those are the original... Languedoc built those speakers. Ah, Languedoc built those speakers. Um, They were part of his original gear. Um, Now he's using some Bogner amps, um, some reworked Languedoc speakers, and... Some other stuff, um, we're going to talk about his guitars, but let me um, let me pull up, actually. His,
0: I mean, but his guitars are also, like, I only thought that there were, like, maybe, like, five or six Languadocs. I thought, like, being a guitar player in the sense that he is, that he would treat his guitar very much like a violin. Like, a professional violinist only has, like, two or three or four violins that they really use the solo with. I would have guessed it was the same, but with Trey, he's got a lot more... Um, iterations of, I think it's like past 12 at this point, way past 12. Um, it's again, just more than I would have expected. Um, the gear that I would expect to change the least would be the speakers. Cause the speakers on stage, when I think about it from a musician standpoint, that's just the kickback that I'm going to hear and the tone that I'm going to hear. So it's like, as I long mean, as it's a, a good interpretation of what's coming out of the main mix, then good. I mean, they're just micing my amp at the end of the day, so yeah. it's, it should be a, an equal interpretation. That's why it was so interesting to me. Like, I want to know if like the speakers blow out, Did the tweeter blow? And Languedoc was just like, eh, can't do this. No, anymore, I mean, kid. I'm sure they've, I'm sure they've replaced <laughs> the speakers hundreds of times in the cabinets. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I
1: don't. Yeah, I'm just yeah. Um, but but no, I you know I'm looking at his just the New Year's run most recent. This is like. <laughs> this is like i don't know if this guy racks racks on shit yeah yeah. that loop
0: pedal man that's not a loop pedal that's that's just the regular that's
1: the regular pedal here's the (laughs) looping pedal over here um feedback delay level he can control his wetness by the gas um it just there's so much shit in this rig that like only guitar dorks would really kind of appreciate it i mean TraysGuitarRig.com. Go to it if you're really interested into it. I, you know. Uh...
0: So here's the thing. Do you, as a as a uh, guitar player, do you see yourself using as much gear if you had access to it, or do you find yourself to be like more like the early like 1991 Trey, where he's got like the two like tube screamers and like an old Boss delay and like basic shit, or do you like the access to the newer technology, which allows them to go, like, does that go to a different space for you, or is it kind of like, I, I get what I'm getting at? Like, I think so. Uh, 1.0 by the end of 1.0, it's no different than they are now. In fact, I would say he has access to more stuff now. So, yeah. is the playing better for you now with the tech that he has, or is it better before just him being, I don't know. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, okay, here's what I'll say if I were to have access to this unlimited funds, I'd probably have more gear than I guess I do now, but probably not as much, not this amount of stuff. Um, but also like, I mean, he's got other people to like set it up for. Like he doesn't have to like worry about all of that. But anyway, uh, that's an important point. Having roadies and technicians over, um, over the years watching his gear evolve. Uh, where am I going with this? Um, I don't like. I think that the gear sometimes, especially in the later 1.0 and 2.0 eras, when they're partying pretty hard, sometimes the gear saves them a little bit because it oh, can yeah? mask it can mask like your sloppy playing, mis- yeah, uh, a little bit, yeah. I, um, okay, I could see that. So, my favorite tray is, you know, ninety three, ninety four, for. 95 for young, just rambunctious energy, high-flying guitar solos, guitar pyrotechnics, so to speak. But I like him best now, where he's using all of his tools. I think that for old dudes, they still really can peek out their jams wonderfully, and the lights go along with it great. And I think as a unit, they're playing better now than probably ever before. You're just sacrificing uh, some youth for some refinement, and I think we touched on that last show. Um, The gear is what it is, and it should... I think he's using it best now as a tool
0: to aid and not, like, a mask. See, I think Paige is about to, like, break open a whole fucking lid on some shit. I think the Halloween show where they did all the Disney fucking spooky house Thrillin', shit. and chilling like, sounds I of think Halloween. he's on an upward trend and he's like, fuck, I've been doing original instruments forever, but now I know a bunch of, like, these other things. I think they're going to have to figure out how to give him another tier on each side of his square. So right now he's at Maybe. two a side. Two a side. he's gonna go to three aside. I so guess get one man. each side, and shit's about to pop off in the page department. Not buying it, uh, and he's also going back in the studio with Vita Blue. His creativity's about to now. Pop that off. is something we
1: should talk about. Uh. I love Vita Blue. I think it's the best Fish Side project there ever was. Um, better than Gordon Solo. Uh, Fishman's Pork Tornado was a. It's funny. Was, I like was, it. Was fun, but Vita Blue was great.
0: They're coming back.
1: I know. We, we should. I want to. I want to give it its full cycle. I saw. But, uh, I saw yeah. Vita Blue probably five or six times. Shut
0: up! I haven't seen them yet, and I'm hoping that this new album means that I get to see them live. Because page with the men is fucking phenomenal. Saw that live.
1: I saw um, Vita Blue. My first Vita Blue show was New Year's Eve, 2001 and 2002, and it was a newly broken up fish. And so Vita Blue was playing, and then Trey and Mike came out. Both on Languedoc guitars, and they played Light Up or Leave Me Alone, the traffic cover, and it just tore the house down. It was amazing. Uh, Paige played Instant Karma right at New Year's. That was I think, good. Didn't Mike just sell that Languedoc? <laughs> I or saw it. Yeah, is, I saw He put it up. Yeah, I saw that. He put it up for auction. Yeah. yeah. It's the Tobacco Sunburst Languedoc. I'm not a fan of Tobacco Sunburst, but man, I
0: love those Languedocs. Gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> guitars. All right well i think it's time for our short 15 minute break but uh when we come back i think to like get us into uh some beer topics we're gonna talk about ipas how we got there what we like about them yeah i I, it's topical definitely because one episode i'm talking about liking like belgian beers The next one i'm talking about liking bissell brothers and (laughs) i'm like all over the place with that shit um I also think the ways that you and I think about IPAs are very different. So it's definitely something that we can speak to, especially given that I learned everything that I've uh, culminated in my beer experience from you. So I almost would assume that I would kind of chime into your palate and we kind of went our separate directions. And I think why, I I think you did it on purpose. (laughs) I think I just got exposed to something that I, but yeah, yeah, we'll talk. I have my theories. (laughs) Well, please stay with us after this short 15-minute break.
1: Here's a run like an antelope from the island tour, April 3rd, 1998, Nassau Coliseum, Uniondale, New York, Long Island.
0: We will see you after this short 15-minute break. Thank you.
1: If you come on stage, remember, Karini's going to get you. i oh,
0: Producer here. <laughs> Who's the producer today? Me or you? <laughs> me.
1: You might be a close second. Uh, outline keeper, maybe.
0: <laughs> uh, keeper of the outline.
1: Keeper of the outline. Talk. I took no notes basically during the first. Took no notes.
0: Phase two, and then we live long and prosper. <laughs> All right. Beer part. I think uh the topic that we decided, I think the one thing that we have unique to our palates that um speak to like to me how I learned how to brew beer, uh, is our differences on IPAs. So I know one of the things we're gonna be talking about, if not like I'm, I'm sorry. If the theme of what we're talking about for the whole second half is IPAs, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's uh, a lesser known beer style that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one likes those IPAs. It's They're, terrible.
1: Uh... IPA is to the beer world, I think, what Merlot was to the wine world, circa 1993 or something. You know, it's like, hey guys, there's <laughs> <More> other like <laughs> there's other
0: grapes. 1899. <laughs> no, but I mean, like I remember, like in the 90s, there's
1: like kind of a, a burgeoning, like more people were getting into wine or whatever. Maybe I was just first aware, of it, but it just seemed like every middle-aged woman drank a Merlot.
0: Yeah, And it's
1: like, yo, there's there's other grapes. Just like every middle-aged dude now that just got out of the financial district and wants to go have a beer is like, what's the strongest, hoppiest beer I can get? Yay! It's (laughs) like there's other shit to beer. But we are going to talk about IPAs because there's a whole shitload to talk about.
0: Yeah. Um, I honestly, I mean you're the guy who taught me how to brew beer i think the way you and i approach ipas are like a white and uh, black and white cookie i think what we want out of our ipas are extremely different and i think that is topical because of how we fell into ipas so i guess my question for you being the more antiquated is that the right no, way to say? No, that means I'm, you, I'm useless. And no, outdated. no, no, no. Oh, I mean like older, classicist, be, be, maybe. No, the older one. You, you've antique. been drinking... antique. Uh, yeah, that's, that's so, what
1: I was. Antiquated means something's phased out. You know, oh, like, poop. Uh, <laughs> like, like like religion I was trying to say is like, antiquated. It.
0: No, I was trying to say you know better than me because you're older right. in your knowledge, wisdom. Uh, <laughs> sure, you um, uh, you have a more developed palate. Mine, i would probably. say probably i would i also <laughs> I have a definitely. little bit
1: more of an old school like i i personally um i grew up not really grew up but like when i was 20 and started to drink crap beer um yeah, IPAs, what IPA IPAs, ipas were drinking? very west coast probably sierra um although i actually before we get started on this um just a brief history of the ipa for those that don't know it. it's an india pale ale
0: Do you know why they call them
1: India Pale Ales? Yeah,
0: I actually do. This is one of the very few beer facts I'm very proud to know. Okay. (laughs) Because I don't remember much. (laughs) This is is clear. Uh, Details. Um, So the British are trying to basically uh, bring beer... All the way from the UK, all the way around the tip of Africa, and go all the way around to India. And the only way for them to do so was was for them to add more hops and like hop forward their beers because it was a natural uh, preservative, antibacterial. God, let me say it scientifically: (laughs) preservative, (laughs) antibacterial. Yeah, that's also that's a little more scientific. (laughs) But yeah, they wanted it to last. They wanted to get around the tip. Of Africa, the tip, just the tip, because they were shooting in between Madagascar and the mainland. That's why we need Liz, so we don't do just guy jokes. <laughs>
1: them. Um, but yeah, it was a. Okay, I bet you, Liz it, is going to yeah. be like, "What? Just the tip, really?"
0: <laughs> it is all it had to get around them. <laughs> yeah. So fuck you. I do know some, you know, subtleties yeah. to the, the. <laughs> I don't know. There's weird things that make it into my brain. So that's why they call it an IPA. And um, a lot of people, it's
1: mysterious. I think a lot of people question, did they, A, once they get those big hop-forward British beers into India – It obviously was a new thing and probably not enjoyable to drink or overly bitter. Did they water it down or did they just get used to it and kind
0: of like it? I think it's the opposite. I think the amount of time it took to travel by the time it got to India, the guy who got it from India, (laughs) sent like the British guy in India, sends a bit of mail back along the cargo train line. He's like, hey, man. It's a little too bitter. <laughs> a little too right. bitter. Right. Pull back. <laughs> and then they figured it out over time. Uh, Maybe. That's a bad joke, but um, I think the reasons why... Yeah, I think you just made that up. They used more hops was because they knew it would travel longer and those hops would drop off. I think hops have always been known to be an ingredient that drops off very quickly, and I think that had two really important uh, principles to add to beer at the time they wanted it to last longer in shipment and then taste close to what it would what they would want it to taste like if it was brewed fresh on the island so to a guy all who's right. in india who's like <laughs> so all again, speculation yeah. <laughs> total speculation i'm not a historian i i don't know what beer can we get randy mosher on the line (laughs) do we have time for a call do we take calls on the show no but you know like i'm that guy who's basically what would be like a three or four day cruise for us now is like a couple weeks so i would want a lot more hops to make sure that beer can travel that much farther three or four weeks by the time it gets three or four weeks farther it tastes about where it tastes where i brewed it fresh so i think that ingredient has always been used as a drop-off ingredient But in a more delicate way. Yeah. Like they fine tuned it. You realize
1: you're a little (laughs) bit more snobby than most people about this hop droppage factor. Like you've had an IPA after a week, you're like, well, it was only okay. So I'm just going to dump the whole thing because I can't taste the hops anymore. I'm just going to dump it out. Yeah. I'm an asshole about it, but I think
0: it's for fair, fair reason. Sure, fine.
1: Yeah. It's a reason, and that's all it needs. To be fair in this instance, I mean, it's just beer. <laughs> no, I think it's We're not it's talking just, about, you know, politics. I,
0: I, again, we're not talking about now having hops drop off in terms of flavor. Now we're talking about hops dropping off in terms of smell. And those are two different things, my friend. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Good point. Good uh, point. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think hops dropping off, uh, dropping off in terms of flavor is like. A weekly thing like you can have uh, they say it's i think for an ipa and uh liz can correct me but i think the standard ipa is um six months after six months it starts it just going, tastes like cereal grain that, yeah. <laughs> yeah it starts to taste fruit, fruit. Yeah. yeah so there actually is like a shelf life for
1: no they're supposed you to you can be taste like, it like well like the birthday beer we drank that was the brooklyn barley wine it's from yeah. 2014, it's four years old at this point. Like you couldn't taste any hops. Agreed. I yeah. bet it would have been better. Yeah, uh, so, three years ago,
0: maybe not four. Like the, the 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 points are important. Uh, it's a really hard thing to allow aromatics to stick in your beer. It's the hardest thing to stick. And I think episodes ago we started talking about uh, extract. Extract is one way to infuse, not just smell, but Nah, it's mostly smell. I take that back. It's mostly smell. It depends on where Um, you use it. Right, but like the the intent in terms of like a commercial brewery, like saving money on said ingredient is mostly for smell. It's really, really hard to understand because hop utilization over the sizes of batches decreases. It's like the one thing that actually goes down. So you don't need as much hops to get as much liquid. That. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking the way you're
1: explaining it now is is
0: correct. Like the
1: big, the more surface area, the less hops you need to use. Correct. It's, it's it's the yeah. one ingredient that goes
0: down. Exactly. Everything else. Goes what up, makes, water goes yeah, up. It, grain it goes It's up. what
1: makes it uh it hard to really fine tune the scaling up of a recipe. Like you'll notice a bit of a fall off when a brewery moves from, say, their five barrel system to twenty barrels or whatever the case may be. There's yeah, so there's it's little, some tweaking.
0: Right, but the one thing that doesn't change in terms of difficulty from the homebrew level to the commercial level is the aromatics. The aromatics right. becomes like that, like how do I like infuse this much? And like <laughs> there have been some great uh, articles that have been written from like a yeast perspective and like suspension of yeast in comparison to like how the yeast provides a natural filter in solution and how that natural filter, depending on if it's like uh, high flocculating uh, yeast to middle to low, will affect the specific notes of the hop, uh, not the uh, lupulin, but like the oil that is excreted. The the, the alpha acids. Yeah, yeah. And like what pulls out more than others. So (laughs) again, this is stuff that, I want to say like 80% of it goes over my head. To me, it's like, get me to the point. Like, what do I have to do to get like the hop juice that I want to produce? I think when I want to make an IPA, I want to make something that smells like orange juice.
1: (laughs) You've said this before. And you were
0: on a lemon kick for a while there, but now uh, you're into the orange juice. Yeah, it's, it's it's a quality of flavor that I think I'm trying to articulate. And it's easier to say to someone, talk about someone with no vocab <laughs> in last episode. Um, I think the smell of an IPA is something that I've thought a lot about. And I really want this aroma to hit the top end of your palate, like where your nose touches your face, like that bone joint. But I don't want it to make you like thirsty. I want it to make you like satisfied. So it's like the way a um, a beer brewed with lactose will like coat your tongue. I want it to, okay. Uh... Like kind of get, get you in a spot where like drinking water, drinking water just naturally satisfies everything that it touches like it can clear your palate it can coat your tongue it can go down your esophagus and like wash away whatever Bud spice can or also whatever clean your palate <laughs> what you do it f- f- <laughs> what's your favorite <laughs> macro locker
1: <laughs> i mean it's the king of beer anyway <laughs> um so i think i get what you're saying um let's so let's dive into this um right now we're drinking uh One of my efforts, uh, Simple Brewing Company's Nuck Fuggets, it's a double IPA named after my brother aged over some wood chips. It's my brother's Twitter handle. Uh, We had it for the Super Bowl party. This is a vintage bottle that I've saved over so we can actually talk about everything you were just talking about. Because if you remember drinking this, it was pretty big
0: and forward. I was going to ask you... (laughs) if this is a barley wine that we were drinking <laughs> right yeah it, it's 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 into that realm right now yeah. it's it's a lot less
1: hoppy i think the wood character is still there i can still taste the woodiness i what i'm not getting is all and this uh this particular beer is is 10% and it uses almost every facet of of how you could use a hop so there's first wort hopping which means huh. you you throw it in before your uh wort actually gets to gets a boil it's a boil yeah Then there's a 90 minute edition. There's a 60 minute edition. There's like a 30, and then there's like a five. And so there's just a lot. And I could. Is there a post like flame out? uh, Then then there's also it's also dry hopped. So okay. um,
0: There's a flame out and there's a dry hop. Yeah. And it's dry and wait, wait 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 yeah flame out and a dry hop which you do in primary.
1: The dry hop is in secondary.
0: Okay, which is a, a
1: probably an older school way of doing it. I think a lot of the, the, the IPAs that you like, like the New England IPAs, they're dry hopped, but it's done. And it, it's the way the yeast attenuates affects the hop flavor. They're done in the primary fermentation. I think after the initial fermentation has slowed a bit, but it's still the primary, that's when they do them. So this is different. This is more old school. And in fact, it's based on Pliny the Elder, which is a Russian River Company uh, brew from Northern California, it's pretty much yeah. They are the the original like the, mecca original of, like, the double West Coast uh, and just West, and Coast, West IPA, Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were before Stone, who really took the torch of the IPA to the probably the next level as far as macro micro go. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I will say that.
1: Feel free uh, to destroy this beer if you want to. No, no,
0: no. I'm not going to destroy it in the slightest. I just, <laughs> I think. One of the reasons why double IPAs are so great when they're done well is because when they're fresh, that 10% doesn't taste like 10%. Yeah, That 10% tastes like (laughs) 2%. And I'm like three beers in, like why am I almost blackout wasted? I've only had three beers. And (laughs) so the very first thing I think that drops off an IPA as it ages is its ability to mask the alcohol content. Yeah, which it's no longer doing right now. Like you taste the booze in this beer is what you're saying. Correct. It's a 10% beer. How could you well, not? Well, yeah, I yeah. Guess. I mean, you even could a little
1: bit. <laughs> in fact, that was, I sent no, some. No, when this beer is fresh, you cannot taste the booze. I sent some to my brother and he was like, it's a little too boozy for me. And I think it's because I waited too long because I'm lazy to send it to him. <laughs> and uh, he, he wasn't, he didn't get any of the wood. But I wouldn't expect a non-beer drinker to really, are you getting any of the wood? I would.
0: Yeah, 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 I definitely do. So, and here's my question to you. By the time he got it. From brew date, how much time are we talking? Um, so he got it probably a week and a half ago in the mail. Right, but when was the beer
1: bottled? The beer was bottled uh, just after the Super Bowl.
0: Super Bowl is February. February. So he 3rd, got it,
1: and he got it a week ago. So that's like the very mid-March. last week of March. So, yeah, like a month very and last a half. week. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So six weeks later, he got it. Five, five weeks. Or I so.
0: argue if he had that beer, like if you had overnighted it, him overnighted. Wow overnighted it to him day before or i'm sorry day before day after you uh bottled it he'd love it
1: yo speaking of overnighted <laughs> you know who's overnighted the beatles i mean do these guys really deserve to be knights like come on sir elton john and other <laughs> all, right, all these all right. pop stars from england are they knights <laughs> i never held a sword in their life oh, come on get and off it. elton john <laughs> That's what i just said yeah <laughs> I know he's not a beetle, but I'm just saying all these people that are knighted, like eh. anyway. yeah.
0: Anyway <laughs> No, but like again, to me there is a quality and you just made a beer and I want to talk about that. Okay. you just made a really awesome beer. Beta batch <laughs> trademark. Um, the beer you made utilized youpelin powder. You lup yup, loop, loop loop lupulin powder. Say so. it
1: again. Lupulin powder, yeah. So, lupulin glands are the little yellow things on the inner husks of a hop uh, cone. Uh, I always call them buds, <laughs> but they're really cones. Um, and uh, that's what actually is giving, especially these newer experimental like New Zealand and all these hop flavors. Like, so before. Um, hop flavor was noted as being citrusy and piney, especially, uh, American hop flavors. Right. So, you know, your classics, like your centennials and stuff, but some of these newer hops are, are as I think Liza was saying this either last episode or the episode before the flavors aren't really citrusy anymore. They're now just downright fruity and weird, like mangoey yeah, And they so, get cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the lupulin glands of the hop are what are really giving off those flavors. So the head hop grower at Yakima in Washington State. Yakima, <laughs> it's a place where they grow hops. Yakima, it's I also say Yakima. Valley. You also see Yakima, like they make kayaks and shit. You'll see like uh, people's like Range Rovers with the racks on top where they put their kayaks. Yakima, yeah. it's a. Yakima, it's just a, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's a company. Yeah, so it's it's an it's, awesome valley and fucking. Exactly, the you, Yakima Valley. It's, it's no, it's speci- in Washington. Oh, Washington. But I know that the uh, the topography is what makes it so unique. Yeah, and it's like the way that like the wind blows through the valley and like keeps a very specific temperature. But it's not just the temperature; it's like the aeration. Yeah. So it's like it keeps mold and like things and like obviously hops are like really like rambunctious little fucks and keeps everything like super. Uh, uh, I have three uh,
1: vines growing in Brooklyn that I'm gonna <laughs> you know make a beer with finally this year. So. They'll grow anywhere, but yeah, this yeah. is optimal. This is like hop heaven, yeah, or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is like the dankiest freaking hops that you can get.
1: What's that place where everybody goes to drink wine in California? Uh, Napa. It's the Napa. It's called for Tuscany for hops. in Italy. if Well, you right, want to get but it's fucking... the na- the Napa up for hops. About is, this shit is, 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 is Yakima. <laughs> so anyway, the head grower there figured out a way to cryogenically actually pull the Upland glands off of the hop so they're isolated and it's just this powder and so instead of getting any sort of vegetal taste you're just getting all of these big fruity crazy flavors um so that gets me to uh the beer we're about to drink which i affectionately call the irie pa and i'm gonna do a little shameless self-promotion here uh (laughs) i make it every year for um majesty's 420 Brooklyn Elevation Celebration. We've been doing it for a couple years now. I'm actually filming a documentary on it next weekend about how we make this beer.
0: But uh Go on, plug, 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 <laughs> right? Right, right. Now
1: listen, it's so it's called the IREPA. Um it's no, a it classic. Great. It's a classic West Coast IPA. It's dropped dry-hopped with lupulin powder, um, mosaic lupulin powder which is super fruity, but it also has the beta batch has 600 milligrams of pure sativa tincture so it's thc and then the next batch that i'm going to be brewing tonight actually and putting in the secondary next weekend will have uh a thousand milligrams um and it's a really great beer it's a classic west coast ipa um I think that it IPAs smells
0: should, like fucking orange juice. Right? It's great. We, uh, it smells great. Yeah. Should the, we open this up? I got a growler of it for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's this, like, optimal, like, environment for these hops to grow, and, like, they grow in this, like, super catered place, but, I, I again, I think the point that I'm trying to make is
1: that... Wait, we, 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 you already made this point, and we're beyond that in the conversation, because I talked about how they were cryogenically released and stuff.
0: Again point I'm trying to make is that the things that they (laughs) (laughs) I think the point I'm trying to make is that there's this uh depth in the same way that we were talking about like timbre to an instrument and like there's this like a unique like footprint to a very specific thing is that we're starting to find with lupulin powder that there's this very specific like fingerprint to a hop and it's not so much in its vegetal state like uh, when I think of using a hop The thing that people taste the most is that alpha acid and that like crazy, like vegetal, grassy, spicy, peppery things that make you more thirsty by the time you're done drinking what you're sipping. And it throws it on its fucking head and says, actually, we're going to take all the fruitiness and all the citrusiness and all these, like, qualities that people don't really get, the average beer drinker doesn't get, and we're going to pull those out. And I think smell is really important to an IPA. So when you have something that smells like coconuts or grapefruit or uh, mango or cantaloupe or, or, like, I don't know, just, like, these very, like, juicy, watery Things you start impacting the palate in a different way, and start drawing out these different specific, uh, more tropical flavors, and I think it makes an IPA more approachable to the average person. Because if you give me a beer like Nuck Fuggets, <laughs> the Nuck, one you Nuck, just Nuck <laughs> yeah, in its yeah. freshest state, it's so <laughs> scorching to me as a novice IPA drinker, that I, I don't ever want to drink an IPA and feel more thirsty by the time I'm done drinking it than when I start. And I feel like I say that about a lot of styles of beer. I feel like I've said that more than one time on this podcast. I never want to drink a beer. To me, that's a, a, a very quick sign of unbalanced proportions of ingredients. If I come out of drinking that beer seeking water more aggressively, then something's wrong. I, I think okay. that's like a safe place to be. Boozy, more thirsty. uh Hoppy, more thirsty. Um, Banana y, you want to wash it away and get it out of there. More water. So it's like, no matter how you ever think about it, if a beer is unbalanced, you want to wash it away. Uh, I mean,
1: uh. all right. First of all, beer, just like anything that's not 100% water, is slightly dehydrating to begin with. <laughs> like, you're never going to, even if I'm drinking Budweiser all day. It's still dehydrating.
0: Uh, You don't think so? I've had some beers that like quench my – They quench your immediate. They're soda soda, but it actually is dehydrating. you. Understood. But like, again, it's the deception of being satisfied in what you're drinking. Even if you want to say it. Well, I've always said this. uh, It should never – and your palate is
1: what helps you make whatever it is of it. You know what I'm saying? But you should – a beer should never be a chore to drink. Right. Yeah, it should agreed. be enjoyable. And so maybe if your palate can't handle sours, then those aren't a joy to drink for you. But if you can and you like them and you like the way it makes you feel, whatever, that's good. Uh, but it should always be like, my favorite beers are when I take a sip and I'm just like, uh, yeah. And then I take another sip and it just feels like a celebration every time I take it. It rarely happens to me anymore because I've drank so much beer. But like when I get to those points, and especially when it's a beer that I've made, uh and this is one of them that we're drinking right now, where it's just like, yes,
0: like everything is right about this beer. And it gets you stoned. <laughs> so yeah, so let's talk about the inner workings of IREPA. Okay, because I I feel like you and I, the very first time you made this beer, uh, that's what like 2014, 15. It's been it's like, yeah, it's been like it's been four years in a row now. It's been a while. We did it wrong the first couple times. <laughs> so there's a lot of like intricacies of brewing with uh, any sort of like uh, uh lupulin producing uh, what's the word I'm looking for. There's a way to extract the ingredient that we want to extract. It's the same type of ingredient that's used in like you know, marijuana and THC. So a lot of what you're trying to extract from uh, uh, cannabis, which is the cousin of hops in its essence, it's like the first cousins, too, they're really close. They're the same in genus. Right, so they're first cousins. Is how I, I like not the family, about it. but yeah, geez, yeah, 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 you know, maybe second fans. cousins. <laughs> no, first cousins. First cousins. Your family is like your mom and your dad have a bunch of kids. Remember, I'm from the <laughs> south, so this has a <laughs> different meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Florida. All right, fine. So let's say it this way: it's. Um, you're trying to extrapolate the same uh, chemical compounds from the same area of the plant. So in, in, in weed or in cannabis, THC, you're trying to extrapolate the powder. The powder is most concentrated there. When you actually light up the plant, you get the CBDs and like those different, like uh, what are they, terpenes? I forget the fucking word for terpenes. it. Terpenes? Like, yeah, what you said. <laughs> and with hops, it's very similar. What we're trying to do is extract from the powder, the resin, the actual poly. Of the plant, and the specifics of the smell is the keef, so to speak, of the weed. So it's kind of yeah, the, kinda, the yeah. Very, that's a good like, way to put it. I think <laughs> it's it's the very essence and and like nasal notes of that uh, substance. So when you start distilling down to this one very specific thing, I think you start getting. Very, uh, when someone says vegetal to me, I almost think of like the leaf where I think of like yeah. you guys have very eccentric, you and the Lizza have very eccentric like vocabulary. I want to say where my brain tries to make up for that is in the imagery of what you're trying to talk about. So when, Where is Liz? I want to talk to her. <laughs> when the Lizza is saying um, very bready or tastes like a cracker, Like, I don't know the taste specific enough in my palate, but I know the texture. So, I know, like, doughy or, like, thick or, like... When she
1: says bread or crackers, she's usually referring to um, grains in the malt.
0: Right. And there's a viscosity. There's a viscosity to it that she's describing. And while my palate can't detect the hint of, like, saltiness that crackers might, uh, like, build towards more than, like, bread, which bread is more of a texture thing to me, um... I can navigate the parts of it that I do know and I think lupulin powder what it's opening up for brewers is a side of things that they couldn't detect before because um, uh, alpha acids were so predominant like these these things are so uh, peppery grassy again my vocabulary is really basic and i can't wait to start doing this and open it up piney is the one that liz used in the, uh or the, i'm sorry piney is what uh the liza used the other day to describe more of a vegetal um uh, vegetal taste um <laughs> there's just like so many ways to describe uh i don't know i think of it like dressing a pizza like you put garlic powder on things, you put like red pepper flakes. There's like a reason why you like apply the combinations to it, and figuring out that fine tuned individuality between the, the different right. hops, which are all cousins. The, they're, like. all uh, they're all related. They're all related. It's
1: just an incestual battle for supreme flavor. So <laughs> the the cryo hop or the upulin Lupulin, uh, sorry, say uh, it ten times. Lupulin. Lupulin. It's eupulin. it's the lupulin powder, but it contains some of the resins, and there are different types of resins and acids. Uh, yeah, alpha, beta and alpha, yeah, beta and alpha, but uh, alpha and beta. The resins sorry. and the aromatic oils, which which have to do with those with the acids. Um, it's was really designed to provide an intense hop flavor and aroma, enabling brewers to dose. Large quantity of hops without inducing the astringent flavors or vegetative cone material. And that's exactly what it does. So, in this beer, I'm going to give you the rundown on this beer. And whenever, I think it's souf, souf, it's safe to assume, souf to a same? Souf to a same? It's safe to assume whenever we're talking about beer, we're normally, when we're talking about recipes or recipe development, we're talking about it for home brewers. We're talking about a five gallon batch. Right. Unless we say otherwise, I, I think. It's a basic g- standard. Good, yeah. good thing to know. Basic um, standard, yeah. So this is, um, and the the bill of this IREPA is a lot like my, the regular IPA that I love to make so much, which is kind of Zanishef inspired. Um, okay. I think there are a couple things here. I think that there should always be enough malt to balance. Like I hate when people talk about session IPAs. I don't like it because a session IPA is basically like, oh, this beer is only 4%, but it has the hop character of an intense IPA and that's just to me it's not balanced in that way there's not enough malt to hold up to that hop character and so I actually find myself getting bitter beer face or a little sick to my stomach I don't find them refreshing at all And I think it's a lot of the reasons why people actually – like I was talking about this with my brother who's not the hugest beer drinker, but he's into it. But he always usually prefers the double IPA to the single IPA. And I think that's because there's enough malt to balance all that hop flavor that it actually feels a little bit more in check sometimes than uh, maybe a session IPA or just a regular IPA would. So also being said, I I don't ever want to use more than four hops in a beer. I've tried it a couple times, and it just – you start to lose like it's always better to like, you know, if you have Amarillo in the boil and then Amarillo at the end or in the dry hop, you get both ends of that same hop. Right. So it, it resonates out. But if you had like, so in this beer there's Amarillo, there's Simcoe and there's Mosaic and then there's Mosaic lupulin powder as the dry hop. I think the three hops are able to shine. If you were to add one more or especially two more, those flavors start to get it gets money muddy. it just yeah. gets money it gets money so for this Our beer favorite adjective i love <laughs> i love um, my for my ipas it's a two row base i love a little bit of munich malt so you got around 10 pounds of two row a pound of munich malt you have a half a pound of crystal 20 or caramel 20 like the vienna Lovabond area and that's the the when when we're saying 20 the lovabond 20 degrees lovabond is a as a scale that measures color, color. yeah yeah um, so it gives it a little bit of color and then i have a little bit of carapils which is Slightly toasted. It's not really fermentable, but it it helps aid in head retention.
0: So when you're making a grain bill for your double IPA, like what is your approach to that? Like, what you mean, like, are we where, talking about? This one, or are you talking about the double? No, this one specifically. Yeah, oh, this we're talking one, about yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. Like, the what, IPA. Like, what what were you going for in terms of like the taste and like what you were trying to create with your grain bill?
1: So you don't want it to be too overpowering, but you want there to be enough flavor there. A little bit of the. Caramelized malt really helps to balance some of these bigger hop flavors out right. to me. Right. Um I so also they're,
0: they're aggressive hops. So you're you're again yeah. trying to And play they're and...
1: aggressive hops and I'm doing, you know, uh a couple of them at the sixty minute mark, and then there's a fifteen minute mark and then there's an end. I like three times. That fifteen, depending on the hop, could be a ten minute addition instead of fifteen. It's just depends yeah. on up to you. I've done this this malt bill so much and these hops so much that I've kind of really dialed it in, but you're talking about Brewing this, I brewed this recipe, regular IPA and Irie, quote unquote, IPA, you know, probably like 40 times or something. Yeah,
0: so you have really like, it's
1: It's totally dialed in as far as I'm concerned. I like the little bit of the Munich malt. So how did the lupulin powder like
0: really impact the way you saw this beer? Like having it like, you know, come through. Okay, so I'm using an
1: ounce of lupulin powder. And what I used to do to dry hop this beer was use almost... Uh, an ounce and a half to three ounces of actual hops that give you a whole bunch of other flavors in addition to the lupulin flavor. Um, right. And so this really helps dial that back. Um, it makes it less sludgy when you're going to put it in the keg because you're, you're yeah, using you less, less of it. Loss. And you're just getting you less bigger. Yeah. yeah, and bigger, bolder flavor. Less loss, bigger, bolder flavor. Yeah. And it works awesome. so well with the uh, the sativa tincture. i, I I'm so happy with how this, as just the beta batch came out. I mean, and we were saying, I've done this recipe before, but we did it wrong. Like, the first year I did it, I just threw bud in the secondary. Yeah. Which didn't do anything. It gave you a lot of great flavor, but what a waste of an ounce Great of
0: smell. I remember, yeah. like, the smell of it. Yeah. And
1: so, this actually has no actual marijuana flower in this batch. Uh, the batch I'm going to brew this weekend uh, for the Elevation Celebration. We can get you the details if you're a New York listener of how you can come to this party and how you can uh, enjoy some of these beers. But uh, if you're not from New York, fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, the way that the the powder worked with the actual, um, the tincture is great, but it's it's still missing. And like I can taste it a little bit, but it, this beer doesn't actually taste like marijuana. And that's one of the nice parts since the hops are so closely related to the hemp or the herb or whatever uh that that hempy kind of flavor really came through with some of these
0: other batches and so the next batch i'm making
1: is going to have that as well as a higher concentrate of tincture
0: i yeah i i think what makes this beer really interesting is that in the same way that we were talking about like masking uh hops uh and using hops to mask uh booze like the way you're trying to blend flavors together and almost get them to a point where you can't discern one from the other I think this beer does a really good job in masking all its elements while pulling all the best elements out of each other. This beer uh, smells really uh, citrusy and like really like tropical, but at the same time uh, gets me this nice super mellow buzz like an edible wood or, you know, there's, so At the same, like, it's just in a very good middle spot. I don't it's, know it's how much very... we
1: poured because I brought a growler, but in, we bottled it off. So in the 12-ounce bottle, there's about uh, 15 milligrams of THC in each bottle. So each bottle
0: is, like, eating, like, a hard candy. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, like, sedative, like, awesome, like, body. Sedative. Like, sedative. Sedative. Uh, tomato. 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 <laughs> Um, it's very relaxed because I think a lot of uh people's uh not qualms, I guess I'll say it. Qu- qualms of like doing anything with like weed, like, is that they don't know the amount that they're getting in terms of the dosage that they're getting. So if you get like a slice of carrot cake from one slice to another carrot cake, they could be like night and day in terms of the concentration. I think this is a very mild and very like well, uh, thought out like dosage for the average like person to consume sure. edibles. It's like a very like <laughs> I
1: mean I can already feel it a little bit, you know, it's like my
0: tongue is slightly number and it's like oh, nice. Slowly it's a slow build that kicks. Yeah, in it's and... a nice feeling. It's a it's it's a very like controlled uh sleight of hand. I think the way that you incorporate all these ingredients in this beer is like a in a very like awesomely balanced way. Um, right. Now Let's get into like my little area of like IPAs and like where I come from. Yeah, I know where you're going (laughs) with this. And I know that if
1: you were to make a beer with THC tincture, it would be very different. And I actually have a good amount of thought and a slightly new found respect a little bit for a style that I kind of dismissed that has worked its way into our now beer vernacular. It's all over the fucking place. You go to the West Coast and they have an East Coast IPA. Which that's, that's silly. Uh, So the New England or East Coast, Northeastern IPA, go ahead. Tell us all about it. So I'll tell you my experience.
0: So I'll tell you my experience because I mean, fuck me if I'm ever good at like giving you like facts and figures and like whatever. But you're good for story time. (laughs) My experience with the New England IPA is that I go up to Maine for my very first, uh, very first time. And I go up to Allagash and I experience some of the best Belgian beer, no, I'm sorry. The best Belgian beer in the United States. Being outside of Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The best fries this side of so France. <laughs> I walked down the street industrial way is like this little like uh, I want to say it's like four different businesses on either side of like this massive like uh, warehouse of a space. And I walk into one of these breweries, and uh, all they have is like pale ales and IPAs. So this is like a little, a little before other half opens up in New York City. Yeah, and that's like what we have to compare to it. So it's it's very new to me. And what year was this? Do you think? Uh, 20... 15, 14, like that. Yeah.
1: 14. Yeah, it's like I th- early. I think it would have to be twenty fifteen because I don't think you even met Liz till
0: twenty fourteen. So let's say, yeah, it was like 2015. Was Sorry, 2015. Bad, bad about this whole name thing. <laughs> so let's say it was like 2015. And um, I walk into this spot. They have like a bunch of like really weird beers. And like all of a sudden I get handed a reciprocal. And reciprocal for this brewery was like a very like young iteration of it. And when I went to smell it, again, I've told this story in a couple episodes before of like a... Which means we've all heard it a hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it was the way that I would expect a beer to smell on a commercial level compared to Ghost, the beer that you and I developed together. So um, it was the first uh, IPA that smelled tropical to me and tasted like super dry, but not in a dry that like made me super thirsty, but at the same time uh, gave off all these like rich like awesome smells that made me want to keep pounding a beer that I probably wouldn't drink otherwise if not for its aromatic characteristics so I want to say this is the beer that won me over aromatically not by taste and not by uh overall bitterness in terms of its like solubility in the like liquid so it's like super bitter way past what my palate would tolerate but like the smells help to counterbalance that yeah, um <clears throat> I like
1: some of these beers. Um I think I was turned off a little bit being a stubborn older dude that has been drinking beer for a long time. Um I think a lot of people's initial knock at the style was like what is this cloudy dirty bullshit?
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's just hot juice point. for no for no
1: reason or whatever, but actually as this and this is how new things, you know, new information uh, comes to light, man uh this is how new styles are born and we're witnessing what we we are witnessing uh you know or have witnessed the dawn of a new acceptable style i mean i think that the bj CP, CP...
0: <laughs> i had to say it two episodes ago bj big black furry creatures from mars says <laughs> that uh
1: uh this is now an accepted <laughs> official entry you can enter into a contest and the parameters for the style are are set and you know what I got over the cloudiness it took me a while Um, I think for the newer beer drinker it's like I don't care if it's cloudy this is taste and the bottom line is do I like to drink this beer and if the answer is yes then fucking go to town like who cares yep who cares
0: uh, what anybody has told you before? He, and here's what I'll say about this style. If you had told me uh, four or five years ago as, a, again, a predominantly, like, Belgian drinking, like, uh, craft beer well, consumer I think... that I was going to drink a bunch of IPAs, I would have laughed in your face and told you to go fuck yourself. I'm never going to drink that fucking bro-y ass, whatever, hipster-y ass, like, common. It's like the pop music of, like, styles for, like, right now. But, like... Sure. Sure. Um, what I would say, though, there is a comparison to some of these Belgian beers in
1: just how cloudy it is. Like, no one cared that a Belgian triple was cloudy ever before. That's just because for hundreds of years, that's just how we do it. This is what we do, you know? And so when you have a new style, people want to, you know, pigeonhole it into something that already exists. And I don't think this could be. And I think that it's it's awesome in that regard. And um, reading more about it, I actually... I just had, I was at lunch with my mother-in-law and my wifeish the other day, and they had uh, another half on tap, and it was um, Green City or something, I want to say. Yeah, I've had Green
0: City. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And so it was just, it was great because I was having a Pilsner, but I took a couple sips of it, and it was just nice. It was very bright tasting and bright colored, even though it was cloudy, and it was just very, you could smell it and ta like, it's great. Um I don't want to drink that style all the time, but I, I think that it was disrespected by beer snobs, but now has
0: taken over really the scene in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I'm—I uh, I would say that in a way that I want to promote any and all IPA that even simulates like what I like about an IPA. I think it's always like a good thing to come at them all. <laughs> Constructively, and I think where other half is starting to kind of pop off in the things that they're doing is that they're starting to merge their overall IPA style, their IPA pale ale, uh, super citrus tropical styles with other types of beer styles through their collaborations that those other brewers would never apply those characteristics to. So they made a lager the other day that obviously – for other half they don't make lagers ever and for the people who are making they do have a hellas uh
1: which tastes like an IPL but it's a hellas I was
0: gonna say so I I would imagine that came out of a collaboration with another brewery that also made a lager and in the marriage between the two of them they went oh I I could take a little bit of that and the other guy said oh I could take a little bit of this and they kind of like that yeah, would make yeah, sense. Yeah. like well you that's get what the I'm definition saying? of so like, collaboration. I mean, yeah, but like I feel like a lot of collaborations are going on right now that also are of similar style. That's true. So you have like your um, whatever. I, I get yeah, your point. It's like similar. You know, people are just like, oh, you're making this, and like, oh yeah, I'm making that too, and like that is more likely to pair up to me than someone who's like, oh, you know, I'm of. Belgian area, and I'm gonna make a IPA. The last one I can think of is when Monkfish made an IPA with other half, and now, I mean, Monkfish does that a lot. (laughs) I mean, it just opens your your palate up, and it opens up like experience to that, and like I don't know. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's I feel like the best ideas that come out of speculating about what what one hand can lend to another and like how different people can come together and like make different type of beers like yeah now i very much have this like uh east coast ipa ideology and you have this very much. Like, <laughs> you know what man like i can't <laughs> like i'm the guy who got to skip that like fruit uh fruity beer phase brewing with you where i was just like you know I want to make, like, a beer with blueberries in it. And you're like, no, that's stupid. I'm going
1: to make an imperial <laughs> porter with blueberries and Belgian yeast. It. And it's black like cherries. And yeah, like seriously. Courant uh, and vanilla bean.
0: White, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: every Everyone, <laughs> man, if you're out there and you want to make a beer and you haven't made a beer before, just make a fucking pale ale and just get it the basics down before you do anything stupid i'm sorry i, uh, I mean again hey, hey I, this is my advice <laughs> to you and it was my advice to you when we first started brewing
0: yeah yeah and i i can say that i appreciate like very much like the part of uh use constraint within the certain like layers of ingredients but i would also argue like push yourself to what you want to taste not what you want to make that makes any sense so like what you want to make no. <laughs> like when you say what you want to make you say like i want to make a an ipa uh that has like strawberries in it incorporated somehow and it kind of is a little peppery okay rather than say that i'd say hey you know what i want to make something that like is like slightly vegetal and like um, like, don't be so specific? You, n- yeah, like, don't think you understand the terminology that you're talking about. I think what people really quickly attribute to are the taste that they want to experience. They just don't know the how. So in trying to describe it to somebody else, they would say what they think they're talking about. Well, what they're actually talking about is something different. <laughs> All right. I think you are you might be doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, I was talking about that, like, um, vegetal, strawberry, like, whatever. Basically, what I'm trying to describe is, like, a rosé saison. But I might not do that. I might, like, you know, actually put strawberries in an IPA with some Belgian yeast and expect for the best. (laughs) <laughs> right it's like you don't really quite bad necessarily I don't know. <laughs> yeah you yeah about? you know anything can be good the right you know just do it right <laughs> <laughs> oh man
1: we were talking about collabs and i've been trying to convince you to do this for the longest time uh, and you seem resistant to it
0: no i'm not resistant uh i think collabs are always a great idea i mean the first beer i ever made was with you and it was a collab so can't deny that so just t- walk me through this collab because every time you tell me all the parts i hear about it are the parts that i want to hear about it and i'm gonna try to come at it like super objectively like pitch okay to me the, like the first time and the first time hearing this all like, right so you're game hinge brewing mm. i am i have a very fishy ideology about beer
1: go on i'm simple which actually has nothing to do with the fish thing, <laughs> but it's a coincidence. Um, but we also made a beer together. The first collab we ever did was called Ghost, which is funny. Also not not it's called Pacific Ghost. Yeah. Just because it was so opaque in color and ricey and light. Like yeah, 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 it
0: looked like yeah. the shadow. Yeah. Really Ghost, good beer. Yeah. Really good
1: fucking beer. Um So I've had this idea for a long time. One of the things that Simple likes to do as a company or aspires to do as a company is give back to the community we're a part of. And so there's a nonprofit component to it. And um, I thought, you know, my favorite thing besides beer is probably fish. I mean, NFL, but... uh, (laughs) Like, probably fish. uh, fish. And so um, fish have a charity that they work with that's the waterwheel foundation yep and i thought up that lake um exactly and uh also fishman john fishman the drummer of fish is uh i mean i don't know if he is anymore but he was always drinking beer back in the like you watch bittersweet motel it's just beer in his hand like most of the time band practice stuff he seems like a beer drinker and he's had a lot of nicknames idioms over the years of fish He was first, whenever he would come out from behind the drum kit, they would uh, announce him as uh, Henrietta for a while, (laughs) and then Henrietta died, and then he was Moses Brown, and then he was Bob Weaver, and he's been Tubbs. There's a ton of Fishman nicknames, and I thought it would be great for us to do, to rekindle our collab series and do a bunch of brews uh, that we could talk about here on the pod and, uh, you know... Get out there on the social media, uh, Fishman nicknames, just <laughs> beers after after John Fishman's nickname. Like, I've always yeah. thought that Henrietta would be a nice, maybe you know, American wheat, but Bob Weaver's probably an IPA. <laughs> so, right. that's that's right. since we've got into collabs, say, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, this yeah, is yeah, something yeah, I've, I've been wanting to talk about. I also yet.
0: think that'd be really interesting because I don't really have the uh. The historical background that you're coming from, and describing those things, like saying immediately that like a whatever was an IPA. Oh, I mean, the other, I, I could have yeah. just made that up off the top of my no, head. So but, it, yeah, so it would be interesting to research and see like what uh, uh flavorful uh, profiles like emote off of the information that I learn. And again, I think that's the most interesting thing that I've seen come out of like having this podcast and having you as a guest and not having you as a producer and kind of like fleshing out like the early days of like us brewing together and like the ways that we approach uh, recipe development and understanding that like for you, there's a amazing rich background of understanding of the core ingredients and for me there's this like really super raw uh underdeveloped uh understanding of like what I want but not like quite how to articulate it and like how to get at um things and like now over the six years of me homebrewing I think I have a better understanding of what that is but I still don't have a good way of articulating it and I think that you where's have... Liz, <laughs> so Liz... yeah Liz's is uh the liza in future segments coming up and episodes and um that's honestly the most excited segment that i can talk about going forward for our podcast or like understanding the vocabulary and the history and the um importance of these styles that build out these pl- uh profiles And putting kind of like a name to face. It's like being a musician and like figuring out what a seven chord is after once you figure out like all the major and minor chords. It's just like, wait a second. Diminished? What's a diminished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's an augmented? Hey, did you know if you
1: flat any note in a diminished chord, you get a different dominant seventh chord? How's that for comping if you're playing jazz? Pat Martino in the house.
0: Well, again... Excited for this collaboration. I would uh, probably theme all the labels and various like fish. Yeah, the awesome, donuts. Like, yeah. Whole, and I, I I was also
1: thinking it doesn't even have to be Fishman. Mike Gordon is called Cactus. Let's do something with agave.
0: Yeah, man. Let's do a lawn boy, dude.
1: Paige McConnell, chairman of the boards. It's
0: going to be a lawn with a boy on it.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> You think that's about what types of seats you get at amphitheaters. Uh, Married a, a lawn boy or a seat boy?
0: boy. A <laughs> uh, seat boy always. That's a stupid question. <laughs> Are seat boys, is that like a fuck boy? <laughs> Rich heads? Would you fuck for a seat is the question you're asking. <laughs> that's a different question for a dis- <laughs> different episode. I might, actually. Would you fuck for a seat over a lawn? Well, you could have a lawn for free, but you could fuck for a seat. Who's asking me to fuck? Uh, is it that's a, a great woman? Question. We'll answer that <laughs> next time. Uh, Good night, that. folks. Spring is back. We're feeling it. The island tour. Have a great week. <laughs> Go, Mets. Well, uh, thank you for joining us on this uh, episode of Gotta Jabrew, the podcast where two friends talk about their two favorite things fish and beer. I am the kid. And you Filling are...
1: in for Lizza is J3PO Episode 11 You're stuck with me For now <laughs> I'll go back to shutting the fuck up And taking notes <laughs> next week
0: Thank you guys for listening And see you next time uh... By the way This
1: Roses Are Free is 27 minutes and 25 seconds So don't tune out just now The cool part's about to hit ya.